This is crime scene investigator Chris G leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. Hello everyone, Chris here and thank you for tuning in to another podcast. My guest this week is a former colleague of mine, a former supervisor and uh, now an author, Brian G. You may notice that her surnames are the same but there's no relation there. He's not my, my dad or he'd probably like to think of himself as an older brother. Um, but yeah, we just happen to share the same surname. And since he's left uh, the scenes of crime world, he's written his first book. And it's a very exciting time for, for him and for us colleagues as well. It's great to know that uh, such a great supervisor is still keeping in touch with the scenes of crime world, even when retired. Uh, so listen to my conversation with him. We talk about his book, about his previous career, what's inspired him to write a book and where the future will take him afterwards. And at the end of this podcast, I'll read out the first chapter so you can get an idea of the story that's going to unfold. Well, stick around and listen to the interview and catch the first chapter right after the interview. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to my podcast. I've got with me uh, Brian G. Hello Brian. Hello. And Brian is a author, he's just released his first book and yeah I thought I'd have you here just to, to, to talk about it. Uh, so firstly Brian, uh, tell a little bit about the, the life of Brian <laughs> before you started writing. Well, um, I spent 27 years working for um, Scenes of Crime Unit uh, on, the, on the south coast quite close to where you live, and um, uh, spent uh, the last 10, 15 years as a crime scene manager, so uh, working in and around um, crime scenes all the time. I see, so you've got uh, a real knowledge of scenes of crime, forensics, and all that background. Um, yes. Yeah. And you started writing the book whilst you were working, is that right? Yeah. I. I um, I was diagnosed with cancer and I had a, a couple of years, nine months off and um, like a lot of people had thought to myself, you know, there's always going to be a book and I found myself with you know, not much to do so I started writing it there and um, got about a third of the way through it and then sort of put it to one side when I went back to work and that but um, I, when I retired a couple of years later I took it back and um, just carried on from there and uh, finally finished it to, couple of years ago now. I see and I guess that career has really inspired that book. It has yeah I mean there's no doubt and uh, hopefully um, the, the people who read it will realise that. Yeah because um, I think uh, from speaking f with previous authors I've spoke with Peter James as you know and uh, he goes into such detail about his book and tries to make it very authentic very true to life and I guess that's very easy for you to do with that with that background. Yeah, I'd like to think so, and um, some of my early reviews have, have noticed that, that uh, it's, it's, it's well detailed on the uh, sort of crime scene investigation side of things. Yeah. 
Um, so what inspired you to begin writing the novel in the first place? Um, as I say, you know, everyone says there's a book in them. Um, <laughs> lots of people start one. Some, only have one or two chapters and never finish <laughs> it. Um, but no, I, I, it's funny because I'd, I'd always had an idea that... Um, I live in Eastbourne and uh, there's a couple of old um, crimes from the 1920s and, and one in particular, I read a lot about it and I thought to myself, you know, if I ever write a book, uh, what I'd like to do is, is go to those sort of, one of these old crimes and, and update it with all the modern techniques and things like that. Um, but then when I actually started writing, um, even though it's, it was loosely, par partly um, that story, it completely went off in a different tangent to, uh, altogether. And once I started getting my characters uh, in my mind and uh, etc., I just found that the, the story that I'd originally um, chosen was completely different. And uh, my imagination took over, <laughs> which which is something that hopefully uh, is a good thing. But uh, but it, it was it was more to do with you know in in the. 20 odd years that I worked um, in scenes of crime, how, how much everything changed. And then you read some of the, the stories of um, the crimes from the 1920s. And, and again, it's a completely different world to yeah. what uh, was around even in, in you know the eight, um, 90s when I first started. Yeah, I guess it must be interesting, mustn't it? If we, if we could time travel back uh, to, to the 1920s with all some the technology of the and everything we got now. Yes, yeah, you know, you've got sort of um, an area of the beach where one of the bodies was found, and the only photograph is about 10 um, gentlemen with hats and Victoria, <laughs> uh, with suits on, all staring at the beach, you know, yeah. no sort of, there's no equipment or anything, and they're no. all sort of pointing that that's where she died, on the beach, and yeah. it was like <laughs> nothing. And uh, there's an amazing picture that... Uh, you must look up one day, and uh, it's the trial. Um, sorry, the, the the crime scene, and there's three or four deep people watching where this noted sort of um, pathologist comes down from London, and uh, you know they're all watching. It's, it's, to them, it was like uh, they were movie stars just turned up at this yes. um, crime scene. That you know nowadays you wouldn't let anyone near it, but no. it's, and it became a. The, the cottage where it happened became a sort of um, sort of um, you know tourist um, place. They're bringing oh, people down yeah. on coaches from from London, were coming down on coaches oh, and everything to see the cottage where this woman had been chopped up. <laughs> I guess they didn't have televisions back then, did they? <laughs> so, yeah, it, uh, they just probably had the radio to listen to. Uh, but then the other thing was, they didn't. the local police wouldn't have dealt with that because the police officers in those days would have literally just been sort of uniformed and that was it. Mm. I think everyone came from Scotland Yard, you know, the detectives and you know, all these notable um, top detectives and, as I said, the pathologist, Spilsby, mm. he's... You know, very so. You know, so this, and you can tell the way it's wrote, written about in in the actual um, crime um, archives. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. Completely different to how everything's dealt with today. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, that there's a there was a hub like in London, like you say, Scotland Yard, and they would yeah. be the ones to investigate. I guess anywhere in the country, would they? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. police. Were you just a uniform presence in every town in those days? Yeah. Um, and so there's no sort of there's no county forces or anything like that. Yeah. So 
anything big, you know, they come on Scotland Yard. <laughs> so your book is set in present day, is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. but I guess you've had, uh, like you say, this this picture has inspired you, has it? And various crimes that have happened in the past. And and originally it was, yeah. You know, I I, I had an idea as using my knowledge to just update people with how crimes from the the early part of the you know the twenties and thirties, um, and even during the war, and how techniques had changed. But uh, as I said, once I I got the um, the the uh, author's hat on. <laughs> I, I started realizing that you know, I was coming up with a story that was going to be moving away from just updating something like that. You know, yeah. and, and I found it much more um, exciting to write like that. Yeah, and writing about what you know as well, because like if you're yes. writing yeah. about crimes that say happened in the 1920s, I mean, you're not that old, Brian. <laughs> you're, st- <laughs> you're still young compared to those people born in the 1920s. So. <laughs> Yeah, be yeah. careful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and uh, I think yeah, if, if you're writing about things that you know, then yes. you're probably going to be a lot more comfortable, and yes. I guess the readers are going to pick up on that as well. And and so far, as I say, some of the reviews I've had have, have, have noticed that quite easily. The the other thing I wanted to do and and um, is make my main character a socko, because there's a lot of um, there's hundreds of detective. Um, novels out and uh, you know you just walk into Waterstones or somewhere like that and just look at the, the crime novels area and it's full of loads of them and they're all different and mm. and and then most of them are very good you know I read quite a lot of detective novels over the years but I, I've never had a, a Socko as a, a main character mm. and that's what I wanted and from again using my knowledge of how they think and how they approach scenes um, wanted to see it from that point of view rather than just uh, uh, not just another detective there, there's some really good ones around but uh, I just wanted to put it from from our point of view sort of thing yeah because I think there, like you say there's very few ones about Sockos or CSIs but if you watch them on television it's always quite far-fetched isn't it it's yes. always yeah. over the top yeah. and some of it is yeah. quite unrealistic and I guess yours is quite true to the mark Hopefully, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll read it and be the judge of it. <laughs> we can't do that, Brian. What are you on about? <laughs> so, uh, is this the first book you've written, or are there unpublished ones that you've No, no, it, it was the first. As I said, I, I started it some time ago. Um, I'm halfway through a follow-up with the same characters. Um, I found it easier to keep, um, this, you know, some Simon Crofts is the, the senior Socko, um, who's the main character? So he's going to be. It's, it's, I think there's going to be a trilogy at least, uh, and um, so that one's halfway through at the moment. I see. Um, yeah, that would be uh, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Having a senior as a as as a lead character. Um, <laughs> I'll see if the personality's uh, similar to the Brian that I once knew. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like him at all. <laughs> While while I'm on that subject, yeah, um, we go way back, don't we, Brian? Um, we did. I still remember that you were the senior at my first ever post-mortem. Oh, um, good. You probably don't remember, but I do. Uh, so, yeah, I was I was very nervous at this post-mortem. It was the first time I'd ever seen a deceased human being, let alone being cut up and everything like that. And I do remember myself getting a bit kind of nervy while I was there. Um, 
and I don't know if you did it intentionally or not, but you just came in and you just started chatting to me because I was kind of all by myself, just <laughs> not knowing what to do. And yeah, I found that really kind of helped me through it, really comforted me. And now whenever I'm at a job and I know that it's someone's first post-mortem, I'll just be like by their side, just chatting to them, just yeah. as yeah. as it's as it's normal, really. Um, um, well, it's just... Um... You know, it's not a natural thing to attend, you know, and uh, as we know in our job, we, we learn to live with it. But it is quite daunting to go to your first one. And, you know, having been a supervisor around staff, I've seen um, some good and bad reactions from, um, you know, something like that. So it's always yeah. nice to know that it helps someone anyway. Oh, it's the main thing. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm still doing it. I'm still here. So <laughs> it might have helped me in the long run. Um, so let's talk about your new book, uh, Murder by the Seaside. The title gives us an idea of what might unfold, uh, but what can you tell us about the story? Um, it follows basically um, three main ca characters. Simon Crofts is the, the um, Socko who is out dealing with um, everyday sort of, um, well, suspicious deaths or murders. He's, he's working on the job at the time. Um, so I, um, what I wanted to do was use that job as the introduction to how you do a post-mortem, that sort of thing. So I didn't have to keep repeating it every time I do uh, another one. And then in the background, there's a couple of characters. There's a, a young girl called Bethany who's had quite a troubled um, background and um, she's just making it as a waitress, um, working hard, trying to get her own place. She comes from a um, broken home, that sort of thing. And there's a guy called Stevie. Stevie Johnson, who's a bit of a, he used to run clubs in Ibiza, everything failed. I won't go, I don't want to no. um, bore, you, bore you with the whole story because you've got to read it. <laughs> um, comes back to this country and um, he's got a very demanding wife and uh, gets a job as a, a salesman, as a rep. And somehow him and Bethany are meet up, that's all we'll say, by accident as well. And Without going into any more detail, <laughs> Profs and his team have to um, try and suss out um, what happened. Yeah. And they'll leave it as that, because yeah. any more gives it away oh, too much. Oh, it sounds very intriguing. <laughs> yeah. but, it's, um, but it's all sort of based in um, Hastings, Eastbourne area. Um, so, you know, people will recognise it quite oh. easily who live around this area. I've used proper name places. I know some some authors do and some don't, and there's right and wrongs for both but I've tended to use sort of um, uh, actual places yeah. um, I guess that, made up names. that would help um, that would help like local residents really visualize it wouldn't it and yeah yeah the, I've had quite a lot of interest from local libraries and things like that or yeah. who all want to stop it because they, they people like a crime you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think and, People only like a crime on their doorstep if it's fiction, didn't they? Yes, yes. It's, it's amazing. Um, again, you know, since I've come into the author's world and, and reading around crime writers and things like that, uh, how much the public love crime fiction, mm. um, you know, because we've obviously worked in, in that field for a while. You don't realise how... Um, how intriguing it is to people outside things that we do on a or I used to do on a daily basis you know to to people outside your job is, is quite um, an unusual um, set of events so again you know it's um, there is a lot of call for crime fiction yeah um, and uh, there is a lot of crime out there 
Yeah, unfortunately, it keeps us in work, doesn't it? It does. But there's also a lot of crime or fiction, I mean. <laughs> oh, there's lots of crime. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so it's quite a crowded market, the crime fiction world. Yes. And uh, I think it goes without saying that you've done exceptionally well to, to get published. Um, but uh, what makes your book different from, say, other crime novels? I think, as I said earlier on, because I've written it from the Socko's perspective, mm. um, it's not the only one. There, I have read one or two others, um, but um, there aren't many. And, mm. um, and I think it would be hard for someone who hasn't worked in the role to, to write about it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that when I've, um, when I've read other crime novels and they've mentioned Socko's or CSI's, um, there's been a sort of, you know, a two-liner saying, oh, they turned up, <laughs> backed a few things, took a few photographs and went again. And it's it's all very much that because yeah. there is, a, a you know, quite a lot of um, work that we, that the public and crime writers aren't, um, don't really know what we do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I decided to go into some detail. And, and as I said, you know, try to, um, get across the the role as well as you know making it an interesting story as well. Yeah, no, I, th I think because there's there's probably a, f a few books out there where you've got Sockos and CSIs as the yeah, main yeah. characters, but there's probably very few that are actually written by ex Sockos and CSIs. No, I think there's um, one or two um, that I've that I've found, and I've read a couple of them as well. So mm. you know, it's um, it's just unusual, and, and I think. That was the side of things that I was trying to get across when I was trying to get published. Um, but of course, most of the um, publishers that you you write to, that doesn't actually mean much to them because they're just looking at the the, the, the book itself sort of thing. Yeah. So it was, I was glad that I got a good publisher that wanted to um, take me on, really. Yeah. Uh, did you have many setbacks trying to get published? Um, exactly 64. <laughs> not, not that I counted them. <laughs> no, it was very much, um, again, you know, like I said, everyone wants to write a book. And when I finished the book, you know, I had some help editing it. And it was like, right, here we go. And you send them off. And, uh, you know, it's quite a long process. You've got to send off your synopsis and then everything like that. And then you just wait and sometimes they don't reply at all and uh, most of the time they, they're very some some very quickly within the hour yeah. saying oh it's very nice but it's not for us and and that was the um the the main answer was they you know they were happy with it but it's not what they wanted and you know whether that's a nice way of saying it was rubbish i don't know <laughs> but in the end you keep persevering and i and it's funny because I, I i keep quoting it now to other authors uh, I read um, from uh, a lady, again, it was probably three years ago, and she said, I'm glad I didn't give up 100 uh, rejections because number 104 was the one where I got published. And I think that kept me going, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and I wasn't counting how many rejections I got. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I did have it all in a spreadsheet, so I knew you know, what dates I'd sent them off and everything like that. Um, but it was only after I got published that I counted back, and it was 64. Oh, yes. <laughs> but that's, uh, I mean, that's a great tale to tell um, any would-be authors, anyone that's yeah. considering doing it, that if you do yes. have a couple of rejections, if it turns yeah. out to be 64, just just don't give up. If you if you feel oh, like, oh. If, yeah, if you believe in your story, 
then yeah, certainly persevere with it. I think so as yeah. well. <clears throat> and as I say, there are a lot of authors out, and there's a lot of publishers out as well. Um, and uh, you know, it's not it's not simply a task of um, writing a book and sending it off and and, and reading it a, a month later. The whole process of publishing has taken two years. Yeah, well, that's quite a lengthy time then. So it's what in total. Seven years, did you say? Seven years altogether, yeah. Yeah, yeah from the day I started sort of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and it's not that I wrote every day for seven years, you know. I, I did come back to it several times. And um, and again, you know, like I said earlier on, a lot of people do do what I did, write a few chapters and think, here I go. And then, you know, work, life, families take over and, and people just don't have the time to do it. And fortunately or unfortunately, uh, I was able to do that. Yeah, fantastic. So we'll, we'll talk about, uh, you say it's set in Eastbourne and Hastings. I think we've kind of already sort of covered this, but, but why did you choose Sussex and particularly Eastbourne and Hastings as your backdrop? For your I think, um, again, because uh, it's an area that I know. I've, I've lived here most of my life and I've worked here most of my life. So it actually made it easier. Um, as a, I, I did toy with an area, uh, an idea of calling it a fictional town, mm. as you know, you see it on a lot of um, the, the crime dramas. You know, it's always sort of Westfield Police or something, you know, a random police force that's been made up, isn't it? I, I, I can I, just think of Gotham City. That's <laughs> that, that shows but, my age, doesn't it? <laughs> but every time, you know, even some of the big ones, uh, you know, like Line of Duty and those sort of programs, yeah. they they're made up forces. And for me, and for you, I know, when you read that, it almost makes it a little bit comical because, yeah. you know, it's not real, if you know what I mean. And, and it's great because everyone's got their own ideas and that. But I just, I thought it's easier to, to use places that I know and, and that the readers will know. And even if they don't know them, we'll, might even want to mm. learn about them, you know. Um, but coming up with sort of... Um, Eastings or Hastebourne or something like that was just not <laughs> wasn't going to be on my list of things to do. Oh, definitely not. It doesn't make it credible in, in my mind. Um, I just, I just sometimes it, it makes it a little bit, as I said, a bit of a yeah. uh, doesn't make it serious enough because yeah. uh, you you know everything's made up. Where my um, people like, uh, and I'm not just saying Peter James because you already name dropped him, but you know he does his all in Brighton and and the sort of surrounding areas. And again, because he uses real places, I I think it's it's better for the reader to be honest. Yeah, I think so, and particularly because you've got that uh, knowledge of actually being a soco and being a, a yeah. senior soco as well. Uh, yeah. You want to show the readers that yeah you you are authentic and and you know exactly. what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think if you made up some sort of fiction town. Yeah. Um, then yeah, you'd be taking a step back almost, wouldn't you? From, yeah. From what you're. It's doing almost before. making up Toy Town or something like yeah. that, isn't it? <laughs> That's a different sort of book, isn't it? That's a children's <laughs> book. <laughs> okay. Um, so, what can you tell us about some of the characters that are in your book, um, and are they based on any real people in your life? Um, I've got a I've few colleagues of, that want to know this. <laughs> I've had one of two of the colleagues actually contact me, and no. that's me. In there. And it's no. I think, um, as with any anything, you know, the the characters are, are loosely based on people I've known. Um, they're not. Nobody is exactly one person, but they're bits of people, if you know what I mean. And I think that's because you know. 
um, in any walk of life. You've got characters, you've got different um, age, gender, that sort of thing, uh, and they all you know mix together to become a, a team together, sort of thing. So I think that really it's one of those things that. Uh, no, there's no one character in there that's exactly one person, mm. but they're sort of mixed up of um, several people that I've known over the years. Yeah, all, all the traits that you like and don't like that you think, oh, that would be <laughs> that'd be a nice cocktail of a person. I'd better not say. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's, there's, it's not like I've just um, picked four people and said that's who they are. Yeah, <clears throat> they've, they've sort of mixed you, and then and again, it's. Uh, something that um, you bring into the mix because you know people's names and things like that you know you've got to sit there and try and think of a name that isn't exactly the same as someone that you've known and things like that it's it's, it's um, not complicated but you've got to keep uh, your wits about you yeah okay so um, what advice would you give to anyone who um, wants to set out and write a book do it <laughs> um, just like I said it, it, it there is a book in everyone and loads of people say oh, I'd love to write a book but I've never done anything interesting it's like yes you have Every, everyone's had an interesting life you know everyone's had a different life and um, and even if it's someone who who thinks they've had a boring job life or something like that you know experience that they've had outside life family life you know even the subject that they're they've got a hobby or something they can bring that into the mix and I, I just you know as I said now 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 that I'm a little bit more into the literary world and reading more and um, you know uh, looking into books a little bit more in depth you, you can write about anything and I, I do say to people now you know it's it's hard work but it's great it's really when you when you fish those two words the end is such an accomplishment <laughs> and bet. such a relief as well um, because uh, you know it, it is it does take a lot of time and uh, as I say you know you re-edit it and edit it and read it so you almost know it backwards in the end but I would say anyone who who has got any inkling that they might want to write a book yeah just set some side of time to one side and try and do it I know everyone's got busy lives and families and work and that but you know, even if you just do a chapter every every other night or once a week or something like that, yeah. you know, well, it's it's not it's not something that you can finish in in six months. It's a a long old process, and um, but you do find, or I find myself, you know, thinking all the time about oh, what, what should I get them to do next and, and things like that. It's, and it's 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 great. Dog walks have never been the same. You know? <laughs> My poor dog, you know. He's, he's, and wandering around on the beach and I'm thinking about how someone's going to recover a body from somewhere but so. <laughs> so do you often have to stop with your dog and make like little notes <laughs> I'm, I'm not too bad I, I do randomly sometimes wake up at three o'clock in the morning and think of something um, and I'm, I haven't got a notepad by the, the bed I'm not that bad <laughs> it's just suddenly ideas I suddenly realized the other day that I hadn't um, without going into too much detail in the next book I'd forgotten to mention something but uh, and so I had to rewrite um, two chapters the other day and it was just like oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a notepad isn't a bad idea after all yeah yeah maybe it is I don't, I don't, I don't think I'll, I'll always be writing in it that's the problem no, no. <laughs> but I think having having just published your book after doing it for seven years I mean part of me thinks that you might like kind of like a break but you're well into your next novel already 
Yeah, well, like I say, because I actually finished this one physically writing it um, over two years ago. Um, so really, I've been... <laughs> I didn't want to start the second one until I got a publisher. Because <laughs> <laughs> I Makes didn't. Sense, yeah. When I was getting all the negatives, I was thinking, "Is it really worth all this acid?" But once I got a publisher, and and they had sort of said, you know, initially they wanted me to do three books anyway. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd already had ideas, um, so it was sort of um, let's go sort of thing. Um, so it was I'd had quite the the first, you know. Um, 10, 15,000 words were very easy because I already had the idea in my head. So, um, mm. but uh, yeah, it's getting there slowly. Yeah, and I think your fans, uh, your growing fan base, will like the fact that yeah, there's going to be an, another story uh, on the horizon. It is. Simon Crofts is um, <laughs> been um, looked looked forward to by quite a few <laughs> readers already. Fantastic. <laughs> The only thing is, hopefully, it won't take as long to publish this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's not too bad if it's your first one. If it's your second one and people have to wait seven years for it. No, um... no, it won't be that long. <laughs> Just trying to find the time to do it, really. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, because it, it, it's one of those things. I mean, I, again, listening to other authors and things, you know, some people set aside that whole day for it, things like that. I, I, I don't. I tend to do it as and when, you know, um, when I... I get a free day I'll just think do you know I'll go and, and I'll sit in the garden and um, just type away and it's lovely yeah, yeah especially with the weather we've had recently yeah, yeah. well yeah that's right <laughs> down on the south coast <laughs> we wouldn't be British if we weren't sat here talking about the weather would we <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so finally uh, your book uh, Murder by the Seaside where can people buy it they can get it on Amazon um, at the moment it's, it's only on Amazon actually it's because it's um, with first-time authors, you tend to end up with smaller publishers, <clears throat> and they and younger modern publishers tend to do all their work on Amazon, yeah. um, and and obviously you can get the Kindle version and the paperback version on there. But um, uh, I've yet to see it in a in a bookshop. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure. Once the the initial, because it's only been out for two and a half weeks now. So once the initial um surge is over that's when obviously um it starts going to bookshops but the, the the thing is with covid you see i can't do any book signings i'd no. always dreamed of being sitting in waterstones <laughs> and doing a book signing and yeah. then i thought maybe it's not a good dream because nobody might turn up <laughs> <laughs> sitting there on the table with all my books in the corner and nobody turns up but uh, no they, they're not doing any book signings at the moment no. but um no. i just have to see how it goes yeah well, I was saying to um, my wife the other day, though, we, we were in the park with um, grandson and uh, there was a, a, a woman sitting on the on the bench reading a book. And I had to look and I thought, one day, yeah. I just want to see someone reading my book. Yeah. I think that's that's when you know that you've made it, when you see a random stranger yeah. um, reading your book in, in a random place. Sort of yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, it must be nice if you go on holiday and you see someone yes, reading yeah. your book on holiday. Um, yeah. Then, yeah, that would be a good uh, conversational start. Or even better, if you're on holiday, if someone's reading the foreign language version of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, there's the dream. <laughs> I think that's a long way down the line. Yeah. Well, I've got no doubt, if you keep on persevering like you have done, um, yeah, then what with all your background and everything, the fantastic supervisor you were once upon a time, I've, I've got no doubt you'll uh, be a success, Brian. 
That's very nice of you to say so. It's because we share a same surname as well. We're destined for greatness, aren't we? That's right. (laughs) Oh, anyway, I'm going to definitely pick up your book. It sounds really interesting, and I'm sure people that have already got through it can't wait for the next one. Uh, So, yeah, thank you ever so much for talking to us, Brian. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Great to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. was that noise? There it went again, a strange buzzing sound that cut through his dream. As he opened his eyes, he saw that a light was flashing on and off in the bedroom. In that time that seems to take forever, but which only lasts microseconds, Crofts realised it was his phone vibrating on the wooden bedside table that was making the noise, and the strange lights weren't in fact an alien spaceship, but also from the phone. Crofts glanced at the screen and noticed it was a private caller, which can only mean one thing, work. He also noticed it was 12 minutes past 3 in the morning. Good morning, Mr Crofts. This is the control room. Sorry to bother you, said a cheery voice. Why do the controllers always say that, mused Crofts, knowing this was someone wide awake and halfway through their shift. I've been asked to call you by the on-call SIO, as we have a suspicious death over in Hastings. Do you want me to tell you all about it now, or do you want to wake up properly and get back to me? I'll get back to you, said Crofts. He knew that any further conversation whilst lying in bed would wake up his wife, Deborah, and maybe even his young son, Oscar, who was asleep in the next room. Much better to wake up properly to get the information. He also knew that if a senior investigating officer from the major crime team was involved, it would be something that needed more than a quick chat. Crofts got out of bed quickly and was wide awake before he was in the spare room. Years of conversations in the middle of the night had made sure he was alert, as any decisions made during those first few moments could be crucial in the investigation. Being half asleep was no excuse for mistakes in this line of work. Crofts called the control room back. This controller was just as cheerful, having probably just finished his break where he must have consumed some M&M's or cherry coke, thought Crofts. Hi, Simon. We have a suspicious death over in Hastings, said the happy controller, as if he was telling him he had won the lottery. Crofts muttered, What a surprise, under his breath. Having covered Hastings for fifteen years, he had got used to the lifestyle of some of its inhabitants, and it wasn't what the tourists to the area imagined. His version of Hastings included drugs and squalor, together with visitors from many parts of the world, all of which appeared in most of the crime in the town, even though the local authorities had tried to inject cash into the place to improve it. Any other details at this time? asked Crofts. It appears that it involves some druggies who have been living in a squat, continued the happy one. They've had a binge and woke up to find one of them is dead. Someone then phoned it in but fled the scene. Ambulance attended but the crews are not happy with some of the injuries to the body. Okay, said Crofts, I'll start heading over. Who is the on-call SIO? It's Tom Mead, but there is one other thing. That is, there is no lighting inside the squat, 
and there are holes in some of the floors. In that case, I don't want anyone else to enter the building until I get there, Cross replied with authority. I need to assess the scene before we can decide what to do next. Have you called a CSI yet? Yes, it's Hannah Jukes. She's on our way from Eastbourne too. Crofts had a quick wash and cleaned his teeth, his mind working on the information that he had been given so far. The fact was that a suspicious death with some type of drugs connection made things easier. It wasn't going to be a Category A type murder where the offender was unknown to the victim. At some stage the two had been together in this type of murder and it would cut down the amount of work they would need to do at the scene. The dangers of a squat inhabited by drug users were a whole different kettle of fish. Over the years he had learnt that anything could be around in these types of places. Used needles, drugs and all the paraphernalia that went with them could be in the building. And if there was no electricity and holes in the floor, that just added to the mix. Coupled with those problems was the fact that the inhabitants of these places didn't exactly live a clean lifestyle. No washing, no changing of clothes and quite often feces, both human and their dogs, all over the place. Lovely, Crofts muttered to himself as he headed into the kitchen to boil the kettle. His house almost seemed like a show home compared to where he was heading, although Deborah always worried about it being untidy. Crofts had lost count of the amount of times he had told her he would like to show her around some of the hovels that they had to work in to show how clean their home really was. Crofts always made himself a cup of tea before setting off at this time of day, as you never knew when you were going to get another cuppa. While he waited for the kettle to boil, he called Hannah to see where she was. She said she was just heading out to a van to drive over to Hastings. Cross told her of his decision that no one was to enter the building until he arrived. He could hear the relief in her voice. Although she had been a CSI for about three years, Hannah still needed reassurance sometimes, especially on more complicated scenes such as this. After finishing the call and while sipping his tea, Crofts thought over their conversation. He remembered that he was like that when he first started, but after 15 years experience in the scenes of crime world, there wasn't much that fazed him anymore. Scenes of crime officers, that was their job, and that was why they were originally called Socos. Most police forces had changed to calling their investigators CSI due to the popularity of American TV series, but in Sussex, all were glad they had remained Socos. All were now civilian staff, unlike when Crofts had joined, when they were half police officers and half civilians. It had always been a worry that civilians couldn't carry out the role properly. This was unfounded as Crofts and his fellow senior Socos were held in great esteem, especially by the major crime teams, who relied on their evidence to convict the baddies. Crofts finished his tea, grabbed his blue investigator's notebook and headed out to the Ford-focused estate he used when on call. As usual, he marvelled at the stillness of the night outside. It was, he sometimes said, the best part of the day. No noise, no one around, peace and calm before the day broke. As Crofts opened the car door, he hoped, as always, that he wouldn't have to wake any of his neighbours as the engine started. He lived in a quiet close near the Sovereign Harbour and got on well with those who lived around him. They always said they didn't hear him in the night, but he was never too sure. Crofts drove out of the residential area and onto the main A259 as he headed to the wonders of Hastings.
This is Crime Scene Investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next crime scene.